Salam guys, I'm Mohsin. Welcome to this episode of Millionaire Muslim. Before we get into this episode, we just wanted to spend a few seconds telling you about Islamic Finance Guru or IFG for short. Mohsin and I co-founded IFG in 2015 because we couldn't find content about personal finance and Islamic finance for Muslims like you and I. Nowadays, alhamdulillah, we reach an audience of hundreds of thousands and our goal is to keep providing great content to help you guys. So if you're looking for halal investments and Islamic mortgages or startup funding, check us out at islamicfinanceguru.com. And if you want to get in touch with us directly, you can get me on mohsin at islamicfinanceguru.com and you can get Ibrahim on ibrahim at islamicfinanceguru.com. Enjoy the episode. Looking for a different approach to money? Meet Gatehouse Bank, a Sharia-compliant UK bank built for the modern world. We help home buyers to purchase or refinance their home, provide buy-to-let funding for landlords, and offer award-winning savings accounts. Wherever you're going, get there a different way. Get there with Gatehouse. To find out more, visit gatehousebank.com. Now, moving on to the next slide. So we've got three case studies here. Before we finish up with Q&As, I've got three case studies. One is a bank, second is a supermarket, and thirdly, are lawyers working in a law firm. Now, let's look at a bank. Which jobs will be permissible? I'm talking from Imam Abu Hanifa's perspective, right? Because that's my approach that I take. I don't want to go talking about the other scholars now because I don't want to confuse you. From Imam Abu Hanifa's principles, what would he say to a person if all the variables were correct, all the contexts were right, and it's lawful for him, there's no alternatives or it's not about doing a good thing, rather he just ended up here and he's got this job. Now, a cashier, you go to your bank, there's a teller, a cashier there. What are they doing? They're just taking money, deposits, giving money to you. From Imam Hanifa's perspective, that would be perfectly fine, no problem. Looking at the marketing team, you're like the head of marketing. What are you doing? You are promoting the services of an interest-based conventional bank. That would be impermissible, right, from that perspective, because now you are actively promoting interest. You are calling people towards an unlawful activity. So there, that would be impermissible according to those principles. And even I would say working in that kind of marketing team to actively form a marketing plan to get out there would be impermissible. If you're a loan advisor, officer, where you're sitting at a desk and people come to consult you on the best loan for them and you're trying to sell the loan, sell the product to them, that would also be impermissible. Again, why? Because the very thing that you're doing has sin involved. You are selling a loan. You are trying to sell that product. That would be impermissible according to Imam Hanifa Rahimahullah. If you're working in risk management, in the back office, you're working in risk management. So you're not really doing something where it's frontline or front end where you're selling interest or marketing a bank. Rather, you're just doing risk management. It's not really to do with anything interest related directly. Then even that would be permissible as long as you're not doing it. And even in these things, a person shouldn't just take this as a blanket yes or blanket no. You should always seek further clarity. So risk management seems okay as well. If you're working in the compliance, just making sure the bank is compliant to the FCA and PRA regulations, Bank of England and all these kind of other policies they have to comply with, that would also be okay. If you're working in security and fraud team, so your job is to ensure you stay on top of any kind of fraudulent activity, security, that would also be okay. Because what you're doing is you're not actively involved in getting interest. That job is just like your investigations you're doing or chasing up on people who've made some kind of claim or you suspect fraudulent behavior, you're chasing that up, that'd be completely fine as well. If you're a cleaner in a bank, you're just a cleaner, that's also fine. Again, you're not actively involved. Now remember, the other scholars have different views here 
I'm talking from the Imam Hanifa's perspective and my personal kind of approach to these kind of discussions. IT. Now, the IT department is huge. And so there's definitely there might be certain areas which would be potentially impermissible. But then it just depends what you're doing. If you're doing something in and of itself which is permissible, then it would obviously be permissible. But again, I think that needs more clarity. HR, working in the HR department is fine. You're looking after employees most of the time. And remember, these are what I said earlier. These are broad job roles. You might have 15 responsibilities, 15 different scopes of work in many of these. And where the majority is permissible and the job role is permissible, but you might have one thing which might be doubtful, then for that, you should seek clarity. If it's impermissible, then what I would advise is make sure that's the case. Make sure your job is permissible overall. And then you might get guidance to like purify your income based upon that one hour you spend doing X or Y. Being a CEO of a bank, this is major because the CEO is like the exec, right? He's responsible for the entire vision to grow the entire company. So that would not be permissible being because you're probably the most actively involved. It's everything that your vision, you drive the entire engine per se. And so that would be something that I would encourage people not to ever go near. If you're a manager in a certain department, I mean, that's also potentially permissible. Again, it just depends what you're doing. I've had discussions with certain people who work in conventional banks or investment banks. And when they've told me their job description, I could not find anything clearly impermissible they're doing because they're managing staff who are not doing anything interest related. So they're either a manager of the HR department or an IT team, but they don't have any direct involvement with interest. What about like your situations where you're going into a career where the more senior roles would probably look like they're impermissible, whereas the junior roles might not. So like, for example, if you're a junior accountant in a bank, maybe according to this analysis, it would be permissible. But if you became the CFO of the bank, that would be problematic. So how do you reconcile in those kind of situations? I was still a person stay as a junior, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, according to this view, there's at least that leverage there. You can do that, that permissibility. According to the other view, even this would be permitted, right? So probably this is the furthest you could go. But no, but user experience, be a junior, and then move on, try to find a sharing compliant company. And you know, with all these now digital banks opening, it's starting finance spaces opening up. So there'll be many job openings out there for you to take your skills and this all comes down to your own heart i think your dua your, your sincerity how much do you want to work for islamic finance for sharia to serve allah and to serve the islamic economy it all comes down to that honestly i know people who really cry for that and allah opens up ways for them many people they become entrepreneurs and we were discussing about student loans and i think mohsin and ibrahim have an amazing excellent video which you should watch about student loans and this whole thing about entrepreneurship and going to startups, right? Sometimes it's just that you're an amazing, talented person. Employment, you should think out of the box. Take risks, but obviously take advice. Don't just take my word for it, but think, try to think outside of the box if you're a talented person. Yeah, so from a banking perspective, these are like the main roles. So if we go to that insurance, just because we're talking about banking, we talk about insurance before we go to supermarkets, right? In insurance, you have actuaries, which again are doing financial analysis, looking at risk, in and of itself, is not problematic. It can be overlooked. HR, similar to what we said about banks. Security and compliance, again, similar to what we said about banks. Insurance companies have much more like prudential regulation. So you'd be involved in all of that kind of regulation, meeting buffers, capital ratios, insolvency, all these kind of metrics would be taken care of. When it comes to marketing and when it comes to sales of insurance, that I would say is not permissible. You should abstain from that altogether. When it comes to claims processing, that would be permissible. 
because you're not selling insurance, rather you're helping the person receive the money back for an unlawful contract. So rather it's a good thing. That is the end user's responsibility to get rid of any excess that he's received. So claims processing, I would say it's fine. Compliance security is fine. HR is fine. Actuaries are fine. Just the marketing and sales of insurance products would be impermissible because the thing that you're delivering is impermissible. You are selling something which is unlawful from a Sharia compliance perspective. Now, moving on, we touch upon supermarkets, right? So unfortunately, the world doesn't look like this anymore. We all go in with markings in the floor, single file, <laughs> a one-way system. But this was in the good old days, right? This is how it used to look. Supermarkets, let's do a quick analysis. Tail cashier, completely fine. What you're doing is just taking money, you're sending the item here, but it's something to point out here. What about a person who is scanning alcohol, or scanning pork? So this is another issue. The way I approach this is, and scholars, I know senior scholars as well, the advice that they give is, this is similar to what Imam Hanifa says about that person transporting alcohol, where just like he was of the view that all you're doing is transporting, a peer, all you're doing is scanning. The sin that will happen will be later on. This cashier at the till will not be responsible for that, and therefore it will be permissible to do that. Further evidence to that is everything is automated. You do self-checkout. The cashier is really irrelevant in the process. And further, when any person asks you, where did you buy this from? They're not going to reference the cashier. They'll say, I bought it from Asda or Tesco. So really the cashier is so like remote and so irrelevant or insignificant. They're just doing their job. Honestly, they probably don't even know half the time what they're picking up and scanning. It just becomes so like mechanical for them. To put the scene to them doesn't really seem accurate to me. They're so replaceable and they're being automated now, right? Through self-checkout. If you're a stock clerk or a stacker or anything else, again, we've talked about many like HR and all these jobs. All of them are fine. When it comes to stocking alcohol, stocking wine, again, many employees, you can't, just being an employee we touched upon, it's not easy as an employee to tell the manager, I don't want to do this. If you have the opportunity, you should take the opportunity. If you don't, and you know it's going to create issues with you, there's Islamophobia already, then there is, you could say, leeway in the sense of Imam Munif's opinion because all you're doing is stacking. You're not really selling alcohol. You're just putting an item on the shelf. That's all you're doing. The sin will happen well later on in the chain. You're not even party to that sin. Finally, lawyers. This is like for Ibrahim and people in uh, lawyers, right? We touched upon this earlier anyway. So you know my view on this is it's not so clear. It's you're doing multiple things in corporate finance. Ibrahim, if you want to come in now, I think it's good to come in as a, a person who's worked in the legal industry and law firms as a corporate lawyer. A lot of the times, what are the kind of things you do as a corporate lawyer? So I think it depends on what kind of lawyer you are. If you're at a corporate law firm, that's different to a high street law firm. In the high street sector, you're going to be doing all sorts of things. And they're primarily going to be, your clients are going to be individuals. So you're going to do things like conveyancing and immigration and all that sort of thing. Whereas in the corporate sector, your clients are going to be companies and banks, financial institutions, etc., and you're very specialized. So you would do your training contract in lots of different areas, but then you would specialize in one area. And, and my personal view is, I mean, on this analysis, I think you could pretty much do any kind of law and it would be fine, apart from arguably banking law and specifically perhaps drafting up the interest clauses in relation to those contracts or perhaps acting as a witness to those agreements. I think if you take a kind of really technical approach, my personal view is largely with a majority on this, I think it's really helpful to have a Hanafi view there that you can rely on in complicated cases. But I think my kind of just gut instinct is always against working for a bank. And if you have to, if it's a necessity, great, fine, do it. 
but then always try and exit to go somewhere else. Because my view is that there are enough jobs out there that you don't have to work necessarily for a bank. They might not be as well paid or as prestigious, but I think that there are alternatives. But yeah, in the, bank, in the legal sector, I think other than banking and finance, derivatives, securities and derivatives, debt capital markets, these are kind of three, I think, really problematic areas. Other than that, if you're in anything contentious, so anything where there's arguments with each other, such as litigation or even insolvency, because that's post-fact, that's after the contracts have been created, and all of that stuff is fine. And if it's advisory, like regulatory or tax advice or anything like that, that, to my mind, is perfectly fine as well. The only ones of concern are banking and finance, derivatives, securitizations, debt capital markets. It'll be interesting to hear your view on this. I think it's probably fine, corporate MA, even though a lot of your clients will be private equity firms who are using debt to leverage and fund their transaction via debt. So you're not investing, you're just really arranging the merger and acquisition, right? Yeah. It's up to them how they finance it in the back. Exactly, yeah. So that's fine. And I agree with you completely. All these views that I've mentioned, the way I always advise people is trying to find a Sharia compliant job or work in a sector which is Sharia compliant as the first point of call. But if you can't find something and this is what's available, then okay, based on these views, permissible. But I also advise people that always try your best to find, because ultimately, as Muslims, you will be impacted to some degree by the environment that you're in. That's a given. And therefore, it's always in our favor to work in a place which aligns more with our values and our ethos as much as possible. And that really brings the end of my presentation. And well, let's have a discussion. Just before we get into Q&A, which I'd love to run through because there's been a lot of discussion around that, I would like to bring to everyone's attention, alhamdulillah, we, this is not the only course that we will be doing with Mufti Faraz. Inshallah, we'll be launching a new course with Mufti Saab next month, which I think will actually be very much in this kind of vein, where it's an academic discussion but with lots of really practical inputs and I'll be moderating that as well. The course is called the Islamic Finance Codex, and the link is in the YouTube description. And you see it's in there, so you can check that out. And it's now open for registration. We've limited it to 100 people. So it's basically only 100 people can register in that course because we want to maintain a kind of class feel. You might be asking, what is this course? So the idea behind the course is, Mufti Sabah and are going to go through the Majalla, which is the book the Islamic financial transactions and law book that the Ottoman Empire used to rely on. And it was drafted over seven years by a congregation of different scholars. And alhamdulillah, it's really stood the test of time. And the idea behind this course is, for me, myself, I want to progress and keep at Islamic finance and really learn this properly. And I think this is really incumbent for anyone who works in the corporate sector, anyone who works in Islamic finance, anyone who has complicated business, they need to be on top of this stuff because as we've just heard, it's actually incredibly hard to make a fatwa for every single case. You should be able to make your decisions yourself and have that background. And as someone who runs an Islamic finance personal advice company, I think it's super crucial for me to keep on learning as well. And so in my kind of slightly selfish way, I looked out and I thought, I want a course that has the fifth taught by a great scholar who gets the practicalities, but I also want the, pra the commercial aspect in there as well. And so what we've done is, inshallah, it's a two-year course starting from next month. 
And every week there'll be a class. We'll go through the Majalla for two years. And we will have people like Muhammad Faracha, who's author at Motion Rose, who will be contributing on key areas. And Muhammad Faracha is one of the most eminent Islamic finance practitioners from a legal perspective in the world right now. And then we've got Sultan Jodri, who was ex-CEO from early founder of Arayan Bank, which is obviously the largest Islamic bank that we have in the UK. So he has a wealth of knowledge in his head that will just so, be so enlightening, inshallah, as part of that discussion. The idea is that those guys will be inputting in their data, will get other practitioners from the regulatory and governance perspective, really high quality people of that caliber, of the people that all have already been mentioned. And told me, we'll be, again, fighting for the consumer, where I'll be coming in with my questions and my two pennies worth, and I'll be inputting specifically on the legal side of things and giving my perspective on all of the kind of retail consumer-facing stuff that we'll be coming across. Because it's one thing talking about a big corporate transaction, which in Muhammad will be much better place to talk about, whereas it's another thing to be talking about Forex or how do you do drop shipping and that sort of thing, where we see a lot more action on our end as well. So that's where inshallah will be coming in. And the idea behind it is that you walk away after two years with an ijazah, you walk away with a really good grounding in Islamic finance, and inshallah you walk away with a really good network and community as well, which I think is really important in Islamic finance, to have that kind of, oh, I can talk to this person, that person. And I think for students, for people earlier in their careers, this will be, inshallah, absolutely invaluable. And then, inshallah, finally, you'll also get the practical and the thick combination, which I think is something that we need in Islamic finance desperately. So, yeah, do check that out. And the course is open now. It'll be open until you've got 100 people or inshallah we start in july and then we'll run it for a quarter and then we'll probably open it up again after we've kind of bedded in and got the logistics and infrastructure ready for taking a bigger batch of students but i think it's going to be absolutely fantastic and if you're working in islamic finance or islamic fintech please please do check that out i think you will benefit and we will all benefit from you joining the other thing is we don't want people to be handicapped by price at all in this that's not the aim of this right and if that is a genuine issue i mean we've priced this i think fairly reasonably inshallah affordably but if that's an issue then just drop me a line and i can pay you guys out on that but with that let's dive into the questions so there's been a lot of questions so what about working in a development bank where it's not really commercial but they are going to be giving loans, but it will be for development purposes. What are your thoughts? Yeah, so, I mean, and this is something good that brothers have touched upon is where the income is sourced from, right? This is another major discussion. Like you'll see in some fatwas where they reference the income of a job or a company. And so again, according to the view of the Hanafi scholars, in a non-Muslim country, non-Muslims are not bound by Sharia at all. So for them, their earnings are lawful, right? So working in a development bank, it always depends on what you're doing in the bank. As long as your job is permissible, you're not doing anything impermissible, then the job will be lawful. There is so many questions that I think YouTube has broken. Right, let me read these out off my phone. I think that might be easier. What about taxi drivers? Good one. So again, the scholars of the majority, they say it's disliked to take a person. It's disliked here because you're not part and parcel of that. They'll say it's disliked to drop somebody off to a venue of sin, like a casino or a nightclub. According to the Hanafi position or Imam Hanifa's view, it's you're not responsible. So it'll be lawful for you and it'll just be permissible to do. 
Remember, he doesn't say it's encouraged or anything. He just says it's from a legal perspective, is just permissible. Yeah. If you ultimately know that the least place will be used for illegal activities, can you ignore the sin? You should always try to find tenants who will be doing Sharia compliant. That's like a given across all opinions. This is your property. You don't want your property, just from your own moral and ethics, you don't want your property being used for impermissible activities. Because the view of Imam Hanifa is a very legal view. It's a very technical view where he's looking at the contract itself. But as a Muslim, you should always try to give your property to a Sharia compliant or a neutral kind of setting and avoid giving it to tenants who will be doing something impermissible. Yes, when you can't find somebody else as a tenant, then it'd be permissible based on the view of Imam Hanifa. You will not be sinful for the sin that takes place in the property. We've had a question about teaching about interest in a university context. That should be fine. Yeah, no, so it's a good point because you can only know about riba and its harm by teaching it, right? Or how it works and everything. So teaching in an offensive is not a problem. You're not encouraging the scene. In your heart, firstly, you shouldn't have any kind of reverence for it and you shouldn't be teaching it with a view to empower them to go and deal with it. You're just teaching neutrally, that's all. So you won't be responsible for any kind of sin there. Yeah. Some charities provide debt advice. This may mean consolidating many high-interest loans to single low-interest loans to help the debtor. Would it be okay to do work on this basis? Yeah, so this would be very specific now to, the, to where we discuss the job role and the number of the scope of the work that you have. If you have a neutral kind of job role, but one of those kind of activities within your job is to do this kind of facilitation of interest, then that particular area will be impermissible and the income in lieu of that, however, we can work this out and can discuss this later, maybe on the Fatwa forum, I can write up on this, that should be then dispensing charity. But if your job role is only facilitation of like interest-bearing loans, then it'd be impermissible there. My view of this on this is that I think that my gut instinct would be that it's fine. And the basis for that is, and this is going back to the kind of restructuring and insolvency stuff that lawyers do. So typically what they'll be doing there is post-fact, companies collapsing, and they've taken out a whole bunch of debt. You want to keep this company going. And a key way you do that is by consolidating the debt or by getting kind of nicer terms from the bank to just let the company survive. But isn't that though the lending on new terms with a new rate of interest, which is longer? Not necessarily. I think it depends, obviously, on context. I suppose the analysis there is that the haram has already taken place. You're kind of now facilitating a company from surviving. And in this case, the haram has already taken place. Yeah. The person needs to do something now. And I feel like if you're advising that person on something that will help him in that situation, yeah. it would seem odd to me to, to say that's impermissible. The context I'm saying this, this is just from my own readings, right? When it comes to these debt advisors, what they do is when they consolidate into a single low interest loan, that interest loan is really spread out across a number of years. It's rolled out. It's a new lender or potentially there's new terms there. So there's still interest charged. It's almost like refinancing here. That's what happens. But if it's what you're saying in the sense that it's not any kind of new loan, it's post-fact, then yeah, it's fine. From that angle, it'd be fine. But if it's this idea of you're getting a new loan, and servicing the previous loans, and now you have a longer term with a low interest rate, that would be problematic. Interesting. Well, we definitely ask that on the Fatwa Forum. I reckon it would be, be interesting yeah. specifics on that. Edward for that question. Econ Geek Productions has asked, what was said earlier about purifying the unlawful portion of your income? Is that only possible when you pay it on an hourly basis as opposed to fixed salaries monthly? How would you distinguish? Yeah, so this idea of mine, to be honest, this is my personal kind of idea. I just shared it with you because I find it to be a practical kind of 
response to some of the dilemmas that we're discussing. But I need to develop a formula to be able to address this because you can do it on an hourly basis. We all know how much we're paid on an hourly basis, although we have a fixed monthly salary. So I would then advise you to kind of think that how many hours that I spend in X job or X activity, make a note of that daily if it's like one hour a day. And I know it'll be cumbersome, but that's the reality because there's just no other way to go around. If you're involved in some unlawful activity, it's illegal from a Sharia perspective. So to receive any income in lieu of that will be impermissible and unlawful. Brilliant. Due diligence on financial operations of businesses, sector banking, fintech payments, reports used to buy or sell sector, is this halal or haram? Due diligence is okay. I mean, in and of itself, you're just like doing a bit of research, investigation. You're not involved in anything haram that I can see straightforward. But again, in these things, it's always good to get the kind of scope of work more detailed. But from just what you're putting there, it doesn't seem to be problematic. Brilliant. Can we have more clarity on IT teams, what makes them permissible and others not? I mean, Nasser, just ask on the Fatwa forum, because I know IT is... Very broad. Yeah, exactly. It's very vast. I mean, you can have cybersecurity, you can just have like some kind of compliant. It can be so many different things. So there's a whole spectrum there. What about customer service working in a bank? Yeah, that's okay as well, because you're just really advising them of the account. As long as you're not setting a loan or anything, you're just giving them general yeah. advice. Well, this is a thing, right? So I suspect that most customer service will have to sell a little bit uh, as just part of their kind of standard pattern. And I suppose this is probably a good point to think about what about curries where they're asked to get people to sign up to loans on yeah. fridge or freezer? How do you deal with that? Yeah, so look, when it comes to this, again, I apply this analysis of breaking down and looking at exactly the amount of time spent in doing this kind of unlawful activity. Previously, I had this kind of idea and view. Well, it wasn't a view, it was just an idea. I wrote up an entire fatwa on this, but I never published it because then I hesitated in the end whether it was right or wrong. What I had written at that time was that the employee is really completely insignificant and immaterial if he just has to offer this as an offer. He's not really selling it, promoting it, or pushing for it. He says, look, this is available. If you want to, you can have it. That person has his own discretion. You put both options on the table. And secondly, remember, as I said, employees are somewhat robots in a company, meaning they're just doing their jobs. Nobody says, I went and bought this item from this person. Rather, it's curries or Asda. And these people are just there just doing their day-to-day job. So today is Muhammad selling this. Tomorrow will be John selling this, right? It's just part and parcel of the role they have to fulfill. Previously, I was inclined towards that. It may be okay, especially when it's zero finance. Zero finance is completely okay. In my view, if you're selling a 0% finance, there's no interest involved in that. Previously, I was of the view that potentially he could not be liable. But now I'm more inclined towards this view where I say, no, even that should be purified. If there's some income in lieu of that, it should be some purification from your salary. Interesting. What about like if you've got a company like Curry's and they're online, they offer interest-bearing option to purchase their goods and a portion of their total revenues will be coming from that? In essence, there's no one directly involved in selling that, but a portion of your income will always be coming from Curry's as haram activity. I suppose this is also the case with lawyers and big professional services firms as well. Yeah, so when it comes to income, right, which we just touched upon briefly, the question is, the money that's being received, is it lawful for these non-Muslim directors and shareholders? Is it lawful for them, right? the people who own the company? This, this is a part of a broader discussion where scholars discuss what are non-Muslims obliged to do? And they talk about mukhatab. What are they mukhatab? What are they addressed by Allah to do? So all scholars agree that of all non-Muslims are primarily obliged to 
believe in Allah and the Messenger of Allah. And that's from the ayah of the Quran, Surah Al-Araf, where Allah tells the Messenger of Allah, قُلْ يَا النَّاسِ إِنِّي رَسُولُ اللَّهِ إِلَيْكُمْ Right? Jami'ah. That I am a messenger to all of you. Then in the end he says, فَآمِنُوا بِاللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ Right? So that's like, all scholars agree on this. But are non-Muslims in non-Muslim lands responsible and are they liable for the income to be lawful when they don't even believe in any of this? So this is where scholars like from the Hanafi school say, no, non-Muslims in non-Muslim lands are not obliged and they're not under the Sharia rules. To them, it's lawful. The interest is just part of the system. Yeah. Riba, gambling, came out of the system. So for them, it's lawful amongst themselves. So therefore, your income will not be tainted because it was lawful for them. Interesting. I was thinking about this. This is an interesting case, but drawing up Islamic wills, which is a very Islamic kind of agreement. Non-Muslims won't need that or want that. Would that be then permissible on that analysis? Sorry, conventional wills. Doing conventional wills. Yeah, so I've got an answer on this, and maybe I'll write this or I'll put this on the forum. I've just put some analysis there, and on the forum I'll answer this. Brilliant. Serving alcohol to a customer in a restaurant, would this be different to stacking and passing alcohol across a till? Yeah, this is different. So there's two things which are impermissible, even from this Imam Munifa's view, and this is because they are mentioned specifically in the hadith, where there's clear proximity. One is serving alcohol. So any person who's working or serving alcohol or haram, that's not permitted. And also the hadith clearly prohibits selling weapons or arms manufacturers to people who are going to use them in illegal activities like murder. That's prohibited in the hadith. Because it's the proximity and the harm is so great, even Imam Anifas has a view that this is impermissible. This is an interesting one. What about as a manager creating displays of alcohol to encourage sales following directions from the head office? Yeah, again, see this is a marketing role and we're inviting towards unlawful activity. So marketing unlawful activities in and of itself is also unlawful because you're calling towards. What's your job here? You're calling towards unlawfulness and that is impermissible. We're not allowed to invite people or call people to anything which is unlawful. So they would have to purify on your under your analysis that portion of the Depending now, if their job is purely marketing and the company is haram in and of itself, yeah. then they wouldn't be able to work in there at all. But if there's yeah. an agency, marketing agency, and they've got a client, then either they resist from serving this client or they do this kind of purification and abstain uh, from continuing this. I think what this guy, manager at somewhere like Asda or somewhere, where they have to sometimes create like these displays, you know, where they've got offers and things. Yeah. I suspect the majority of his work will be fine. Yeah, yeah, that's right. The majority of the work would be fine. Obviously, it's purely directions from the head office. You have no input whatsoever. As a Muslim, you should have no input or any kind of excitement, which I'm sure 100% you wouldn't have. Yeah, all I would say is if you're instrumental or significant in what happens, then purify your wealth. Yeah, just accidentally build it up and then just crash into it and be like, oh, oh no. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he'll be told to do it again then. (laughs) This is a a common question on the related, like, to the what can non-Muslims do, but can we give them alcohol as a present, like if, if I get given alcohol as a present, can I just kind of pass it on? Yeah, so what the scholars write here is you should not give alcohol directly in the hand of a non Muslim because what's haram to consume is also haram. The principle is whatever's unlawful to receive is also unlawful to give. But what you can do is you can go and place it somewhere. The scholars mentioned this in the classical works that you're allowed to put alcohol. They talk for a dog, like it is an animal or something. Who's, you can put alcohol and then somebody goes and gets it. You're not responsible and liable for that. So you can just leave alcohol on the table. So if, if you were given alcohol at work, you can just go put it on another table. Whoever takes it thereafter, you know, at fault. Interesting. So there must have been a lot of drunken dogs back in the medieval. 
I told you, look, the legal books talk about all technical kind of analysis, right? In essence, it's purely legal, technical. It's not always real. Some finance laws and banking insurance involve providing available financial position advice from, for the organization to make a decision. The one compiling these re- reports, is their role okay? Yeah, very good question. How I deal with this is if you are presenting multiple options and one of those options is impermissible, but some are permissible, you're just giving it to the person, then you're not responsible directly. The manager will be responsible or your superior will be responsible for that. But for the time taken in developing something impermissible, you should purify that amount of your income. What kind of welfare system? When will there be a welfare system to require ulama? I mean, Mufti Faraz, I think you can get behind that. When will there be a welfare system to squat all over again? I think it might be the same guy. Yeah, I mean, subhanAllah, I think Waqf is now emerging in the UK from multiple angles, so there's good things ahead. Yeah, definitely. Brian, can you ask Mufti Faraz MFA? That's a nice one. He will refer to you as MFA now. On the late payment clause being a boilerplate clause from a commercial contract. So, gee, this is your favourite question. <laughs> Yeah, late payment things. Again, this is like, if you've put that in, I would say just purify that amount if you had to put that in. These late payment clauses, conventional contracts, commercial contracts is obviously interest-based and in Islamic finance contracts, they're there also, but they're more charitable giving type of payments. Interesting. I think that could be quite a problematic approach because I think you pretty much have late payment clauses in everything these days. Yeah. So, well, if you're drafting it, right? I mean, it is a boilerplate clause, no doubt about it. It's just a common thing to be there. The hadith comes to mind where the Messenger of Allah, he addressed the tujjar. He said, Ya ma'ashara tujjar. He said, these tradings, there's some kind of lies or false oath involved in trades. Fashubuhu bisadaqah. Mitigate this with a bit of sadaqah. And this was the advice of the Messenger of Allah to his traders. That there's always some element of impermissible activities. So just give a bit of sadaqah always from your thing. So I would advise Brother Sajid as well here. As a friend of mine, we went to college together, by the way, a long time ago. But let's give some sadaqah always. Again, you're not really responsible. It's just something you can't do with part and parcel, but just give sadaqah. I think the important here is to distinguish between operative clauses and kind of just backup clauses. So yeah. if you're drawing up a debt agreement and you're drawing up the interest clause, that's operative. Whereas a late payment clause, which may or may not actually even stand up in court because it might be seen as penalty clause. I feel that there's a distinction there because it's almost like it then depends on the conduct of the company at the time in light of that clause, how they interpret it. Yeah. And these are exactly all the types of discussions we're having in our course in Majalla from a pure like legal, fiqh, commercial, technical kind of, it's going to be amazing. Yeah, and as you guys can see, me and Hafizab regularly disagree on things and agree on things. And that's <laughs> perfectly fine, right? That's how you push yourself and you learn. So, inshallah, I'll be kind of the stalk champion. I'll be in the firing line. I'll be asking the silly question so that you don't have to. Okay, so I think that there's a lot more questions. I suggest that you guys just post these questions on the Fatwa Forum because I know it's getting relatively late as well. And I don't want Mufti Saab to be killed by his family before the next seminar. I certainly don't want to be going to an emergency either myself. You don't want to be assisting in sin, right? Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> so, yeah, if you guys could just copy-paste your questions, because I don't think we're going to get through these in the next probably half an hour at least. 
and it is getting quite late. That would be great. And by the way, there'll be a WhatsApp group that we'll create for the people who joined the, the Magella course. So we have that kind of ongoing discussion there. For other people, there's a fatwa forum as well where you can post your questions and there are discussions there. If you have any queries about the Majalla course that I was talking about earlier, the link I've shared as well, then please do feel free to drop me a line on that. Or if you have any suggestions for experts that we can host in that course, then more than happy to hear about those as well. Or if you're a fintech with a very specific kind of expertise in a specific kind of area, love to hear your analysis and your kind of take on your area of law as well. I think, inshallah, it'll be an absolutely fascinating and really rich thing that we'll create. Adam Saftar, would you advise a trainee lawyer to stay clear of working in the finance team even for a six-month seat? Often trainees are not afforded a great deal of choice and have to take what they're given. I'll answer that one because it's the very latest one in. It's one that I can actually answer. I'll hand over to Mufti Sal as well for his view. I personally would stay away if you can. I mean, having said that, I was forced into doing a banking seat as a trainee contract, as part of my trainee contract. And I think that as a trainee, you're going to be doing things like security documents and lots of just project management, which in of itself is perfectly permissible. It's not problematic to take security over something. It's not problematic to project manage. But that was the most uncomfortable six months of my training contract. I just think that if you can avoid it, you can 100% avoid it. And I think in retrospect, I should have kicked up a bigger fuss and just drawn a really clear red line before that kind of situation arose. So that would be my view on it. Brilliant. Jazakallah, everyone. Stay tuned because inshallah, next week we will, same time, same place, we'll be talking about how do you actually go about studying Islamic finance and how can you have a career in Islamic finance? What does that look like? We'll have some tips from Antifaraz, from a scholarly perspective. I'll share my kind of legal perspective. Perhaps I might even rope in some other people to share their views from other perspectives as well. And we'll get Mohsin on as well to get his thoughts on this whole area. But Jazakallah once again. And until next time, Assalamu alaikum. If you got this far, you must have enjoyed the podcast, which means you'll definitely love our other episodes and other content we produce as well, inshallah. Be sure to check out the website, islamicfinanceguru.com, as well as our YouTube channel and social media. Until next time, assalamu alaikum.